Welcome to Take Up and Read, a bite-sized Bible study podcast on the Sunday Catholic Mass readings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. This Sunday is the second Sunday of Advent in year A, with the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception being transferred to Monday, December 9th. Our first reading is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1-10, through 10, a prophecy of the return of a branch or shoot from Jesse, the father of King David. This is an oracle for telling the future coming of a new king from David's dynasty, who will usher in an age of justice and peace. This king is Jesus Christ, the son of David, which obviates the inclusion of his genealogy at the beginning of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. The last verse of this passage, telling of the Messiah as a signal for the nations who will be sought by the Gentiles, is reminiscent of Isaiah 2, verses 1-5, through 5, our first reading last Sunday. The Hebrew word for branch in verse 1 is neser, which is used at Matthew 2, verse 23 as a wordplay on Nazarene, designating Jesus' hometown. Some have speculated that Nazareth, a relatively unimportant place, may have been founded by some descendants of David after the Babylonian exile. In this scenario, they would have named the town after this famous prophecy of Isaiah, in recognition that the future Messiah would come from their clan. This passage from Isaiah is one of the origins of the nativity scene tradition, which places animals amidst the Holy Family. While popular and certainly possible, the Gospels do not actually mention any animals being present at our Lord's birth. This prophecy also provides the namesake of the Jesse tradition that many families keep during Advent. Most importantly, the traditional list of seven gifts of the Holy Spirit comes from verse 2. See paragraphs 1831 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Isaiah describes him as resting on the Messiah, which he in turn pours out upon his disciples in the sacraments. In his encyclical letter, Dominum et Vivicantum, on the Holy Spirit, Pope, John, Pope St. John Paul II had this to say in regards to Isaiah's prophecy. Alluding to the coming of a mysterious personage, which the New Testament revelation will identify with Jesus, Isaiah connects his person and mission with a particular action of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord. The Messiah of the lineage of David is precisely that person upon whom the Spirit of the Lord shall rest. It is obvious that in this case one cannot yet speak of a revelation of the paraclete. However, with this veiled reference to the figure of the future Messiah, there begins, so to speak, the path towards the full revelation of the Holy Spirit and the unity of the Trinitarian mystery, a mystery which will finally be manifested in the New Covenant. Our psalm this Sunday is Psalm 72, coming at the end of the second book of the Psalter and attributed to Solomon. This psalm pleads for the Lord's guidance to the king, promising a high standard of royal conduct and may have been used as a coronation hymn. Verses 7 and 8 refer to a dominion from sea to sea, meaning the Mediterranean to either the Persian Gulf or the Red Sea, with the river referring to the Euphrates. These are hypothetical borders for the ideal Israelite king. The thrust of our selection from this psalm has been understood in Christian tradition is being most perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. Justice shall flower in his days, and profound peace to the moon be no more. Psalm 72 touches on many of the same themes of our first reading from Isaiah, praying for a flowering of justice and profound peace that will be a blessing to all the nations. 
the psalm was prayed with poignant messianic expectations. His Sunday second reading is Romans 15, chapter, or verses 4 through 9, where St. Paul urges his Jewish and Gentile readers to welcome one another, just as they were all welcomed into the new covenant by Christ. The church is to be a community of profound peace, like that foretold by the prophet Isaiah in our first reading. Though not born from the people of Israel, the Gentile Christians are, reverent, are to reverence the previously written Old Testament, so that by endurance and by encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This passage ends with a quote from King David's Psalm 18, verse 49, which he composed at 2 Samuel or chapter 22, extolling the Lord for his deliverance. In return, David promised to praise the true God among the Gentiles making Paul's point that God sought the Gentiles in the Old Testament as well. As the Lord promised Abraham at Genesis 22, verse 18, By your descendants shall all the nations of the earth bless themselves. Our Gospel this Sunday is Matthew 3, verses 1-12, through 12, which introduces us to John the Baptist, preaching repentance to the people and leaders of Judea. We have discussed John in more detail on this podcast previously, See the episode for the solemnity of his birth. Here Matthew portrays him as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, quoting from Isaiah 40, verse 3, which the Baptist applies to himself at John verse, chapter 1, verse 23. Since Matthew's quotation comes from the beginning of the so-called Book of Comfort, comprising chapters 40 through 55 of Isaiah, Matthew implicitly connects Jesus to all the prophecies therein. This identification of the Baptist with Isaiah's oracle is mentioned in all four Gospels. Isaiah is proclaiming a new exodus for the return of the Babylonian exiles, but the prophecy is fulfilled to an even greater degree with the incarnation of Christ, who leads a new exodus from sin. Isaiah foretold this exodus as being led by God himself, which is fulfilled quite literally with the coming of Jesus. This new exodus imagery is also why John is based in the Judean desert, where the Israelites crossed into the Promised Land after the first exile, after the first exodus under Joshua. As the Lord said to the prophet Hosea concerning Israel's return from Babylon, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. By crossing through the Jordan in John's baptism, his disciples recapitulated one of the central themes of the Old Testament. The phrase Kingdom of Heaven is unique to Matthew's Gospel, with various parallels in Mark and Luke, using the term Kingdom of God instead. Matthew uses Kingdom of Heaven 32 times, against only four uses of Kingdom of God. The most common explanation is that Matthew is using a circumlocution or a manner of speaking to avoid giving offense. Matthew's intended leadership was primarily Jewish, and first century AD Jews were hesitant to use any speech that might even approach blasphemy of the divine name. It has been proposed that the supernatural kingdom of heaven was meant to contrast with the Jewish understanding of the earthly Israelite polity as the kingdom of God. In any case, this term is one of the defining features of Matthew's gospel. The Baptist's use of the term brood of vipers is particularly abrasive given the erroneous biology common at the time. It was thought that viper hatchlings emerged by using their fangs to thrash through their mother, making them naturally matricidal, 
an abhorrent crime and a disgusting image. John warned the Pharisees and Sadducees not to rely on their Abrahamic ancestry, which some thought sufficient to put them in right relationship with God. The words for children and stone sound alike in Hebrew and Aramaic, this striking statement employing a wordplay for rhetorical effect. Note that the text never indicates that the Pharisees and Sadducees came to receive John's baptism, but seemingly just to see what the fuss was all about. John, aware of the speculation around his identity, denies that he is the Messiah and promises a much more powerful successor. It is important to recall John's ministry of preparing the way of the Lord during this season of preparation for the coming of Christ. The image of a winnowing fan comes from the agricultural practice of flipping grain into the air, allowing the wind to blow away the chaff and leaving the kernels to fall to the floor. The fate of the chaff in unquenchable fire may sound frightening, but John's disciples receive this coming judgment as good news. The cutting down and burning of trees is another image for judgment used here with precedence in the Old Testament. See, for instance, Jeremiah 11, verse 16. Jesus will use the analogy of good and bad fruit later at Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. Regarding the baptism of John, it is distinct from the church's baptism, or sacrament of baptism. Ritual washings and cleansing were an integral part of ancient Judaism and are still observed among some more conservative Jews today. These washings are detailed in Old Testament law, with both priests and common people taking part for various reasons and occasions. John himself is of the priestly tribe of Levi, since we know that his father was a priest. John therefore did not invent ritual cleansing with water, and practices his own Levitical priesthood by his ministry of baptism in the wilderness at the Jordan River. We know of other Jewish communities with similar practices at this time, most notably the Essenes at Qumran. John's baptisms in the Jordan recall the Israelites crossing the Jordan under Joshua when setting out to conquer the Promised Land, as well as the cleansing of Naaman the Syrian in the Jordan by the prophet Elisha. Like the well-known crossing of the Red Sea during the Exodus, or the flood of Noah, these episodes signify a sort of salvation or new life by water, for those experiencing them. The Catholic sacrament of baptism has the same purpose, but it is greater in effect as it was instituted by Christ for the forgiveness of sins and admittance to the heavenly promised land. Jesus' disciples, many of whom were followers of John, continued John's practice of baptism during the ministry of Jesus. See John 4 verses 1 through 2. Nonetheless, John promised his followers that the Messiah would bring an even greater baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. As the Catechism says in paragraph 720, John's baptism was for repentance. Baptism in water and the Spirit will be a new birth. The prophets foretold this in the Old Testament. See, for instance, Isaiah 44.3 and Ezekiel 36.25-27. In Acts 19.3, we see Paul baptizing former disciples of John further confirming that the baptism of the church is something different and greater. After accomplishing his victory over sin and death by his passion, our Lord commanded this new baptism as he departed in his ascension. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the close of the age. This is the new order of things that comes of the birth of the Messiah at Christmas. 
Before we conclude, it is important to ask why the Gospels give so much attention to John the Baptist. There are two obvious reasons, and one more that is speculative, but quite interesting. The most obvious is that John's ministry of repentance lays the groundwork for Jesus' own messianic mission of mercy. In this sense, John fulfills Isaiah's prophecy to prepare the way of the Lord. The second obvious reason is the common expectation that the prophet Elijah would return from the, before the coming of the Messiah. See Malachi 4 verse 5. The description of John wearing a leather belt and camel's hair matches that of Elijah at 2 Kings verse, or chapter 1 verse 8. And Jesus explicitly identifies John's ministry as the fulfillment of this expectation at Matthew 17 verses 11 through 13. Moreover, as we read at 2 Kings chapter 2 verses 9 to 12, Elijah's successor, the prophet Elisha, received a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Elisha went on to become an even greater miracle worker than Elijah. If John the Baptist is the new Elijah of the new covenant, then Jesus is obviously the new Elijah, following in the way laid out for him by the preaching of John. Just as John parts the waters of the Jordan for Jesus' baptism, inaugurating our Lord's public ministry, so Elijah has parted the waters of the Jordan and passed on his ministry to Elisha. The speculative reason is that some first century AD Jewish groups, including the Essenes, were expecting two messiahs, a priestly one from the tribe of Levi and a royal one descended from David. Jesus clearly fits the mold of the latter. By highlighting John's Levitical and priestly lineage, the evangelist could be evoking the long-for Levitical Messiah figure, who then breaks this mold by pointing to Jesus as the one and only true Messiah. He must increase, but I must decrease, in John's words. As we have discussed elsewhere, Jesus' priestly lineage is that of the line of Melchizedek. For a great read on the relationship of Jesus and the Essenes, I suggest Dr. John Bergsma's excellent book, Jesus and the Dead Sea Scrolls. To go a bit beyond the scope of the podcast, we learn at Luke 1, verse 80, that John was in the wilderness to the day of his manifestation to Israel. The Essenes, a celebrant community, took in children for instruction, and it is possible that John's parents entrusted him to their training in the Judean desert. Dr. Bergsma speculates that John's food of locusts and wild honey had to do with the Essene dietary laws. Essenes did not eat food from those outside of the community. However, sustenance found in nature would not be prohibited. John would have remained under the vow, circumventing its requirements by eating locusts and wild honey, as other Essenes were known to do. He believes that John's theology and way of life reflects an Essene background, but he may have been expelled from the community for a disagreement over whether the Gentiles would be part of the Lord's new exodus. John's position is clear in this passage. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. That's all we have time for today. Let's conclude with a collect from this Sunday's Mass. Almighty and merciful God, may no earthly undertaking hinder those who set out in haste to meet your Son, but may our learning of heavenly wisdom gain us admittance to his company. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn more and find resources, visit studycatholic.com. And please tell your friends about the show and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Thanks again, and God bless.